listening to Walnut Grovecast. My name is Mark. We have a very special guest this evening. Her name is Sharon Evans. And I asked her, what what is the best way to describe what you do? Because um, Sharon is a person who who deals with a number of different animals, um, most uh, mostly with dogs. And I believe that if there's a dog on Little House on the Prairie, more than likely, Sharon dealt with that dog. Is that correct, Sharon? <laughs> well, actually, I only really worked with the two cast dogs on the show. What other dogs but my were own there? Personal What's that? <laughs> what other dogs were? Were there other dogs? Well, there were other there were other animals on yes. it. They had a bloodhound that was in one of the episodes with, um, you know, <laughs> it was a kind of a funny one because Harriet and, and uh, Mr. Olson were not getting along and he ended up leaving and moving out for a little bit with the bloodhound. I remember I the dog. He was like a lazy dog. <laughs> yeah, he was a bloodhound. You know, they're kind of lazy and just kind of look with the ears droopy and all that. Um, I did not work that dog. Okay. But I basically, because people do ask me all the time, did I work this animal? Did I work the wolf? Did I work with the horse? You know, even though, yes, during that time, I had all this experience before I got on Little House uh, to work lots of different animals, wild animals, dogs, kitties, Mm -hmm. um, even a raccoon I trained. And it wasn't Jasper. <laughs> I just want to say, I just want to interrupt yeah. you for a second and say thank you so much for taking the time to come on to Walnut Grovecast. I really appreciate it for a number of reasons. One, what you do, I think, is incredible. Um, number two, you being that you are a hands-on person with a little house in the um, on the prairie um, universe, it's going to be the the uh, a video game in the future, I bet. Um, I, you know, I really just do really appreciate it. And um, I, I can't wait to hear about um, your, your tells and all of the different films that you've worked on. And um, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but so I don't even know where yeah. to pick up. Um, <laughs> there's just so many different things like to jump on. Well, here, let me tell you something really quick. And sure. this might set the record straight. I started right out of high school when I was 18. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I got my lucky break because I found out about Frank Inn. And Frank Inn at that time was the largest animal rental compound in the San Fernando Valley and for the picture business. So I, I was lucky enough to find out about him through working at another dog kennel. I was learning to train dogs there, do private lessons, boarded lessons, group lessons, and park lessons where we were doing it at the park. And so I found out from this guy that he worked at Universal Studios as a studio transportation driver. Hmm. Now, both that being a driver is in Teamsters Union. Well, all the animal trainers, whether they be uh, wild animal trainers, dog trainers, or wranglers, had to be uh, in the union in Teamsters number 399. That was local 399 for the picture business. We could not work at the studios unless we were a member of 
local 399 Teamsters. So going back to the guy I was working with, he was in that already, but he just so happened to be a dog trainer too. He had his own business. So he told me about Frankie and he said he worked with him on shows where they needed a lot more trainers and he would pull him in because he was a trainer and he was in Teamsters. He qualified to work with Frank and he goes, someday I'll introduce you to him. Well, what happened is as, as I was very young, but I was still learning. I was very interested in learning about dogs and stuff. And that wasn't the first choice of profession that I actually wanted to do. I actually wanted to be a guide dog instructor in oh, North wow. Hollywood at International Guiding Eyes. And I, I actually had made my career change while I was going through high school in my last senior year, in my senior year there. And it was because I had to go do a report for um, a class called CAP. It was an elective class, but our teacher had us going out into the field. And he wanted us to find businesses that actually help people. And that, of course, was a no-brainer for me because I loved German Shepherds at the time, and that's all they used at the school for guide dogs. Mm -hmm. And I also loved the whole idea of guide dogs. I had seen the Helen Keller movie. I was very interested in people who were blind and couldn't see, and the dogs were helping them. So it was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over to that school. And Those dogs are incredible. Trainer. Yeah, the guide dogs are really incredible. Um, I'm I'm a leader in Cub Scouts with my ten year old son, um, and we had um, we had a woman who does do the training with the guide dogs come in last year, and mm-hmm. it was just it really is incredible. The subtleties that the dog picks up on. Um, are just incredible, and it is so expensive to train them. But oh um, yeah, well, but they're life saving animals, and they're just, you know what? They're just beautifully trained, and they seem like beautifully tempered um, creatures, and you know they really are doing wondrous work. Well, it turns out that the only licensed woman trainer in the whole United States at that time in 68 was there. And so I connected with this, that, oh, you know, a woman trainer doing this, I could do this, you know? So right away, it it was something I thought as I was an art major in high school, and I thought I would take up professional art, but, you know, I loved animals. So my biggest thing that I was doing the most of was portraits of animals. I I love doing that. And I worked in um, oil pastels. I did a lot of stuff then during that time with that. But I had gone through all kinds of artwork and learning art in school because I thought that was what I was going to do. But I did a 180 and decided this is what I want to do. So, you know, it was a hard time during that time because I wasn't aware that women would not be eligible for doing work of that type. Excuse me. And so when I went to the school and I interviewed Lee, I never thought it would be an issue. Here she is working there, right? Sure. And what she did with me that got me sold on it was in my interview with her. She says, well, I have two dogs that have to be tested, blindfold tested, for the next class that we're doing. 
And she says, would you be willing to test with me? And I said, sure, what's it entail? She says, well, what it entails is me putting a blindfold on you, turning you into a completely blind person and letting you work the dog and me walking behind you with another dog. And I'll be testing that dog with you to make sure that it's ready to go to class. <laughs> I said, Whoa, you know, I said, wow. And you're 18. I was really excited wow. about it, but I had no idea what it really was going to be like until we put the blindfold on, and then I'm totally blind, you know? Holy like, cow. Like, I hadn't had any practice being blind, so relying on my other senses, which is hearing and smell and touch, is, like, very foreign to somebody who's sighted, because this world is created for the sighted, not sure. for the blind, Right. Absolutely. So bravely, I put the mask on. It was a sleep shade, which puts, you know, takes all the light out. So I had no light perception, no nothing. It was completely black. And I was instructed ahead of time how to give the commands to the dog and how to hold the harness. And so we proceeded. We were going from North Hollywood to Burbank and going to Denny's. But I had no idea where we were going. She didn't give me a destination. She just said, we're going to walk for a while and then we'll end up at a place. Well, I guess she didn't want to tell me exactly until we got there. She didn't probably know how well it would go or not go with me because most blind people are ready that come for a dog. They've been blind for a while. Sure, so they're acclimated to, through, to it there. Yeah. yeah, and they've had to go through mobility training beforehand so they know how to get around with a cane. So you were in a sink or swim it. type of situation. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't believe she put me in that position, but I guess I was gutsy enough to try it. So, so we start off together and I'm going to take the lead. So it's, um, you know, talk to the dog. Let's say the dog's name is lady. It's lady forward. And then off we go. Well, I was holding back so much lady was dragging me, you know, because <laughs> I was afraid to, to take steps and walk out. And, uh, so, so she caught up to me and she goes, you know what? You have to give yourself to the dog. If you don't trust the dog, a dog's not going to be able to work for you. So you want to step out, just go with the dog, feel it in the harness handle and move with the dog as the dog is moving you away from obstacles or going forward. Just walk out normal. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's hard to do. But I started to do it, and I got into it. I had to put my trust into the dog because otherwise the dog couldn't leave me. You know, I'd be fighting it. So once I got going, I was amazed. I was like, oh, my God, we're walking so fast. And, you know, blind people, you think right away they're taking little baby steps because they don't know if they're going to run into anything. But with guide dogs, we teach them to walk out, and the dog has to have resistance to pull against the harness. So if you're being mamby-pamby, the dog isn't going to be able to guide you, right? Yeah. So so we did it, and it was neat. I mean, I felt the dog guiding me around obstacles and stuff. And then when we get to the corner, the dog would stop, and then I'd have to check it with my left foot. You know, I'd check the corner to find out where the edge is. Then if we were going left, then it was lady left, and then we're right on the corner there. So she stops again, lets me feel the corner, and then went, well, she was with me. But if I wasn't with her, I'd have to listen to traffic. And at that time, they didn't have the beeper things that allow the blind person to hear it, mm -hmm. right? 
you know, they, they can hear that's when it's okay to cross. But anyway, we made it to Denny's. We get inside the door and we put both dogs under the table. And then she says, take your blindfold off. And then I'm, I'm looking at, I'm sitting in a restaurant with the dogs, you know, it was just amazing. It was the most thrilling experience to feel what that dog could do for me if I was blind and to put my trust in that dog. Right. You know? And you were so really genuinely helpless at this point because I was, <laughs> you know, it really put you in that, in that situation because like you were saying, as a, as a sighted person, you aren't ready for this. I you know. wasn't ready, but I was so interested to find out, you know, that overtook my fear. And then because she gave me that confidence of that, the dog will guide me that evidently, you know, after putting five months into the dog, the dog is very well trained, but I didn't know what the dog knew or nothing because I'd never seen them actually work them. So this was my first experience in, in interviewing her, I didn't get to watch her work the dog. I was actually doing the work with the dog. Mm -hmm. So on the way back, we switched dogs. She took the other one that I had come up with. And then going back, I took the dog she was walking with behind me. And uh, they call it doing doubles. We're mm -hmm. doing doubles because we each have a dog, but she's sighted. So that way she gets to work her dog, but she can oversee me and make sure that the dog was guiding me and doing a good job wow. and she passed with flying colors, the dog. Um, and I, I just felt so turned around after going through that experience, Mark, it was like, I found my calling. This is what I want to do. So after that, I asked her if I could come there on the weekends and work there and groom the dogs and help and learn more. And she said, yes, that I could. And, so I had like a little part-time job there and um, it was amazing. I stayed with her until the end of graduation wow. and she said, when you come back from your summer job, because I had already gotten a summer job with my girlfriend as a head wrangler at uh, Cottontail Ranch, which was in Malibu. And it was one of the teachers, happens to be a counselor at the camp, got us an in for an interview and we both got the job. So I said, well, when I'm done with the summer job wrangling, I said, I want to do this. So she said, when you get done, come back, fill out the application for an apprentice, and then we can get you started. So I had that to look forward to, right? Hmm. Well, I did my summer job, and we had a blast. And I mean, it was really fun. We had a camp of, of kids that were doing the horse program there, and they had several different programs that the kids could get into. Now, were but you we always were around animals? Were you always just good with animals your whole life? Well, the funny part about that is that where I lived, it was in the suburbs, so I couldn't have a horse. I couldn't. My mom and dad had a dog when I was very, very young, but the dog used to jump on me and knock me down. I was just like two <laughs> or three, you know. He didn't and mean so it. they gave it back, you know. It's <laughs> right, like, right. nah, dog isn't going to work out. So we ended up having cats, and I loved my kitty. In fact, I trained my kitty like a dog, you know. And then I had hamsters, and I raised those with my sister. And we had gone out to the wash, which was right near where we lived. We would come home with all kinds of reptiles, horned toads, lizards, wow. frogs. And we had a terrarium set up in our rooms, you know, so we could have those, right? 
But as far as a dog goes, we used to walk one in the neighborhood. I'd go over to the lady's house and get Sammy and pretend that Sammy was mine because we didn't have a dog then. And I would bring him to my yard and I'd play with him and everything else. And I'd take him for walks for her to help her out because she worked. (laughs) And you loved it because you loved dogs. That was actually my first real dog, right? Because I didn't have one. Then my mom wanted a dog when I was in, I just started high school, I guess, maybe second year of high school, not first, but now she wants a dog, her. right? Now, now you're in high yeah. school. Now she, yeah. not when you're six, <laughs> <laughs> No, not when I was but we kept begging for one, you know, and I don't know whether they just felt it wasn't the right opportunity or time to have a dog, whatever. It was their choice. Sure. Me, on the other hand, I could get enough of horses Dogs and kitties. I had to be around them. It was part of my makeup. And so I think my path was set and my feet were set on that path to go after being around animals because I had this natural ability of wanting to be there with them and getting something out of it. Uh, so with the sky dog thing, I was really, really excited because I thought I found my career. Mm. So I go back to the school with the director there who was a guy, um, his name was Art Marinaccio. And so I go back and I said, hey, you know, I'm back from summer camp. I wanted to see Lee. And she told me to come in and get an application to fill out for being an apprentice. And he says to me, well, Lee isn't here anymore and we're not hiring women. Oh, he sounds nice. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, my God. What? And I didn't even know Lee was gone because, you know, in those days, the only phone number I had for her was at the school. I didn't have her personal number. I mean, she, she, she was there. So, and I didn't know how to get a hold of her. I didn't know what really happened. And he's telling me they're not hiring women. And I'm saying, why? And he goes, well, they, the way we feel about it here is that they just don't have the emotional makeup to work with the blind students in class. Oh my and God. I was like shocked because I thought she was doing a great job. I know she did with the dogs, but I can't imagine her not having compassion and being able to work with the students. I think there was a clash. There must have been, you know, something happened there. This guy sounds like them. a jerk. I'm sure that oh, her and he was. clashed and... Unfortunately, he had the upper hand. Well, yeah, because he was the director of the school. But really, the sad part about it was that where was I going to go with that? There wasn't like a whole bunch of schools. That school existed and the one in San Rafael. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And I wasn't planning on going up to San Rafael at the time. That's Northern California. I lived in Southern and my roots and my family and everybody was there, right? So... With that disappointment, I didn't know what I was going to do then, but I knew I wanted to do something with the dogs. So I found this guy, Dave Gostein, with Four Seas Kennels, and that's how I got my start in finding out about working with animals in movie and TV and films, you know? Mm. It was like that was a meant-to-be thing because it led to the other. But when I was working with Dave, I was doing everything. It was like I'm the jack of all trades there. I worked with his wife in the office. I had to do cleaning and feeding of the boarded dogs. And then I trained with him for the class dogs in the park. And then he had 
private lessons at his kennel too. So once I started understanding all this stuff and doing it, he was having me do it. And I was young, but I knew that I had to look to the future. Like, is this going to be a dead end? Is there going to be advancement? I didn't see it. And when he mentioned Frank in and about someday I'll introduce you to him. Once he told me who he was, I was like, oh, yes, yes, I'm so excited. I want to meet him. Right. Well, it never happened. It just wasn't happening. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to look in the phone book. They're in Sun Valley. That's not that far from me. And I'm going to see if they have any openings for help working in the kennel. Sure. So I, I found the name and address in the book and called them up. And I said, I wondered if you were hiring, you know, for kennel work at this time. And they were. So they set up an interview with me. I went down. I got to see the whole compound. It was like a zoo over there. He had Arnold the pig, Bill the bear. He had all the critters from Ellie Mae's Critters. He he had all the Filmways productions at that time, plus My Three Sons. He was doing Tramp. He had all this stuff. And all the cat food commercials and dog food commercials pretty much were Frank's. Wow. So he had all those. <laughs> That's too. so cool. Like, to just kind of go in there like, and it's whoa. like, whoa. It's like a world that we kind of don't notice don't because know. it's a, you know, animals are just part of the background of a lot of shows. And we just... I don't know. I think that we um, we don't give them enough credit. You know, it's. Oh, my goodness. When you get into the whole training aspect of what it takes to work an animal and a wild animal is even more difficult than a dog and a cat's difficult, too. You might as well consider them feral. You know, I mean, not that they are, but in training a dog, you're working with they want to please. All <laughs> the other animals work through their stomach. Right. You know, it's like you train them with with food uh, because they're not going to really do it because they love you and want to please you. But dogs do a lot of the stuff you build a rapport with the dog. Now I, I had this opportunity. So believe me, I took it. It was like, this is a jumping off place that I could see myself becoming a trainer in this business. I had never thought of it before, even though I grew up with watching Lassie and Fury and Flipper and all that stuff where they had a lot of animals on TV, you know, mm-hmm. and in movies, in movies. I remember but Flipper. I never, <laughs> yeah, you remember? Yeah. Flipper, they even had a jingle on that one, too. All the, all the TV shows had nice little songs and jingles. Yeah, not anymore. Know, not as much anymore, no. rather. No, but it was big then. It seemed like animals were a big part of people's lives then. I'm sorry, what was the Flipper song? <laughs> why am I forgetting what the Flipper song? I was just thinking, like, what oh, yeah. is the Flipper song? I was singing, and in my mind, I'm singing the Gidget song. But no, no, um, no, no, it's a call him Flipper. Yeah, it was that. Okay, you know, it was that <laughs> something of the ocean. Da 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 da. Yeah, da, da, I remember da, da. that. I call him Flipper. Okay, so you remember now? Yeah, that stupid <laughs> I'm dolphin. Not the singer, but <laughs> I remember the, I remember the tune. No, you, you nailed it. Well, anyway, so when I got there, I was like, you know, I wasn't expecting this. I, I thought dogs and cats and, you know, they have a kennel. But no, this place was huge and it had all kinds of animals. I mean, he had wolves, he had chimpanzees, he had a seal, raccoons. Cat, he had a whole thing dedicated to cats. They called the cat house. <laughs> I, I mean, 
I love cats they too. Have... I don't have a cat anymore, but I, I do oh. love cats. Um, cats are very. I have two dogs now, I though. I have um, I have a pure white Maltese and a pure black miniature poodle, like a teacup poodle. Oh, you do. So it's like a yin and a yang. Have... <laughs> yeah, you got ebony and ivory. Yeah, it's exactly it. Um, but the black dog, who I refer to as Black Dog, um, is a very very smart dog, <clears throat> but he just doesn't. He's stubborn, you know. Like he just doesn't care really about he doesn't care that's to the learn mini poodle? that that's yeah that's the mini, mini poodle, poodle yeah and the maltese and the maltese, the maltese maltese is just a chill dog who just kind of he's a little bit he's nine now the other one's only about three um but the maltese he's just i'm just here i'm here to eat you know <laughs> <laughs> Let me out every once in a while, you know, and I'll I'll just kind of, when it's cold out, I'll snuggle up against you, and that's about it. He's just his own, you know. He's on his own. <laughs> so, how did you get those dogs? Oh, um, well, that's um, the white dog is Yoki. Um, Yoki was born in China, actually, <clears throat> and um, we um through word of mouth, we learned that. This woman from China had brought this dog here. She had terrible arthritis and her dog needed a new home because she couldn't brush him. And as you know, Maltese's need to be brushed pretty often. Yeah, they have long hair. When we got Yoki for the first day, Yoki was like one big dreadlock that had not gotten to his skin yet, thankfully. Um, So there were no sores. There was no pain, but it was just awful. You know, he smelled yeah. and he was uncomfortable and, you know, so we, um, we worked out a deal somehow with these people who spoke almost no English. They handed all of the paperwork over and, um, we took them right to the vet. <clears throat> um, they had a, um, somebody there who sheared him <laughs> because he needed to be sheared at this point. He needed to be, you know, this, it was, it was tremendous amount of hair, um, and um, it took him a good week to kind of snap out of that because, you know, I think it's like taking your security blanket away or. Yeah, well. Or yeah, if you ever cut your hair. You, if, if you've ever had really long hair and then you cut it and they're like, oh, what did I do? You know, it's you feel kind of like um, and you also have new owners. So a stressed out dog who is in all seriousness, the the greatest dog I've ever had in my whole life. And I love this dog to death. Aww. And I think he loves me too. I'm like, you know how some dogs just connect with one person in the house. He connects with me. He growls at my son. He barks at my dog's, uh, my wife's feet. And, um, and he humps the other dog. But with me, I get the, <laughs> <laughs> I get the cuddles, you know? So, um, I do love, I love, love, love that dog. I would do anything for him. The other dog I will protect <laughs> and I'll groom him. And I'll feed him, but um, he's he's my um, number two. <laughs> yeah, but how did you get him? Oh, how do we get him? That was my sister-in-law's dog. dog. Um, she wanted um, a second poodle. And my sister-in-law has um, some money, I guess you could say. And um, uh-huh. her, she went and bought one. You know, and I, I'm not really big on... I, I'm big into rescues, to be honest with you. Yeah, me too. And um, I got to say, I feel like I rescued him. Because they were keeping him in the cage for way too long throughout the day. There was nobody home. Um, 
and we've never had a dog that needed to be put in a um in a cage i just i never had one i don't know why i uh, didn't really have much of a feeling about it one way or the other and um we're like well he's not going to be in a cage and he started pooping all around the house and he couldn't hold his pee it seemed so and he wouldn't sleep he would cry at night and he would just not be able to he would just walk around the house all night so we found that he he sleeps beautifully in the cage. <laughs> um, in the crate? Yeah, crate? The, I call it a cage. It's a crate. You know, we got him a really big one. He's got his toys in there. Oh. He goes in there. Um, He, like, I think in a lot of ways, he'll start making noise if we don't close the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, he's in there. I, I don't sleep much. I sleep maybe at most seven hours a night. Um, so for the most part, he's only, if he has to pee, you know, we let him out and, or we take him for a walk right before he goes in there. But, mm-hmm. and we have, we have a pretty big backyard and an enclosed space. So he can just kind of run out and tinkle. Um, so, you know, he, he, he does this business. Then he goes in the crate at night and he sleeps, he goes right to sleep and he doesn't cry. He doesn't wander and he's comfortable. So even though we're still kind of like, ugh, you know, like we're not used to it. My wife had Maltese's her whole life. She, you know, mm-hmm. we never, and Yoki doesn't go in the crate. Yoki won't go near that crate. Um, because I think maybe he was crated and he hated it when he was little. Well, <laughs> you know, it works for different dogs. Like I do work with a rescue and we do crate a lot of the dogs that we get because it's real helpful in giving them a safe place mm-hmm. and an enclosed place. And they usually won't hear poop in where they sleep. Right. So Thank that God. helps a lot in making the transition because when you get them into your house, you don't even know if they're potty trained or not on these rescue dogs that we work, yeah. that we, uh, you know, that I get. So uh, it, it, crating can be a very useful tool. It I've learned that. It on the dog. I learned yeah. that very quickly. And um, I feel less bad about it. And we went and we got him a nice size one. So he does have room well, to stretch. He's a little guy, though. He's This dog weighs at best six pounds. You know, this is a little, you know, cats are much yeah. bigger than him. And he's fully grown. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've got one myself. I've oh. got a rescue that I rescued. Uh, a about, it'll be five years this December, and she's a palm tea, Pomeranian long-haired chihuahua. She's Ooh. adorable. Oh, when I wow. got her, she was about eight months, and we got her on her D-Day. She would have been killed that day at the oh. shelter. Our group, Foothill Dog Rescue, got a nine dogs out on that day, and the fosters are all volunteers. We volunteer our homes. We bring them into our homes, and then we foster them until they're ready to adopt, which is now about 10 days unless they have other issues, health issues, or, you know, other things we need to work on in training before we can adopt them out. And so I named mine Poppy. She she didn't (laughs) really have a name, but all of our dogs that come from the shelter – we give them theme names so oh. <laughs> so that we know which pole we took them from because now our our company Foothill Dog Rescue has been uh, doing this for five years over five years we started March of 2013 and we've saved 2,700 lives so far. What you know, adopting an animal that is you know on is kind of 
at the end of its life, um, not because necessarily because of its health, is such a great thing to do. We adopted a cat, um, and in retrospect, it was a great thing, but it was also a really silly. Well, we we gave an extra couple years to an adult cat. <clears throat> um, oh, we, that's not. We we um where I worked at the time, this woman said, "Oh, I know about this cat, and she needs a home and." She's an adult cat and she's wonderful and she's beautiful. And she shows me a picture of the cat and I'm like, Oh my God, I send it to my wife. My wife's that weekend is before we had a kid. Like, let's go look at the cat and see if, you know, see what we think. So we go there. The cat comes at me like a wild animal and claws my neck (laughs) and goes, goes to my wife and my wife picks her up and the cat's hissing at her. And my wife goes, Aww. she's beautiful. <laughs> she's I'm like, beautiful. And like my neck is bleeding, you know? And I'm like, oh, no. really? <laughs> so we adopted Sophie. That was Sophie. And uh, Sophie had diabetes, had needed two shots a day. It's like, what are we doing? But, <laughs> but we extended her. She was about to be brought in to be put down that day. And we just couldn't Did let that happen. Did she get nicer? <clears throat> she Did she get nicer? didn't trust men. <clears throat> And um, I don't know what happened. I don't like to think about what happened. <clears throat> but um, I did nothing but treat that cat sweet unless, um, I mean, you know, cats get under your feet all the time. So the worst thing I ever did was, like, accidentally step on the cat here and there. Uh, you know, no, no, no. You know, not, like, majorly. You know, it's like. No, I know. <clears throat> I used to have a cat that would and- wait under the stairs as you were walking down. Like, look, aren't I cute? It's like, I'm going to trip and die. <laughs> Get off the <laughs> stairs. No, I, I love animals. And um, being able to extend Sophie's life by about two and a half years uh, was great. Um, she ended up being a really good cat. And my my wife to this day, just that was the best cat. Well, second best cat that we ever had. I think that was sweet that you did that for yeah. Sophie. Because we're working on a program now in our in our group for senior dogs like you know some people die and then the family doesn't <clears throat> want to take the dog and they end up in the shelter now where and do you do this life is that you know now do you well, do this do through this? crystal hill ranch um like no what? no 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 i i actually am a volunteer but i give back i'm yeah. this is my gift back to my community and helping dogs it's awesome dogs wise. And uh, I don't make anything on this, but I get so much enjoyment mm-hmm. out of helping these dogs that would have otherwise been put <clears> to <throat> death, you know. And then we not only do we get dogs that would be put to death, we get owner surrender dogs, too, where people can't work it out anymore. They got to move. They can't keep the dog and where they're living. It's a heartbreak for them to have to give up the dog. But our group will take a dog if it meets the requirements health-wise and temperament-wise, because we have to be able to get it a new home. So we're just an interim step to getting a forever home. Um, And it gives the dog a second chance. I think that's awesome. We've got like 80 to 100 now volunteer, foster volunteers. We've got people that work in the office three days a week. We've got on intake day, when they bring the dogs from the shelter, they have to get bathed and groomed. They have to get their nails done. They get their ears checked. They get chipped. They get rabies shots. They get their regular shots, you know, the DHLPPs. They get everything done to them so that 
when the foster takes the dog, this dog is already done except maybe neuter and spay, which we have to set up with the vet that we work with. And we have a special deal going with them so that we can get them done. But all of this costs money. You know, I mean, it's not cheap. Mm -hmm. But our organization has several fundraisers a year. In fact, we just had a great big one in August. We call it the Bow Wow Block Party. (laughs) And, And we closed down the whole parking lot with all the businesses in there, but we've got we've got three of the businesses in there because there's a grooming shop, a day a doggy daycare, and there's a training center, and there's the Foothill Dog Rescue. That's all owned by one gal. I think um, it's awesome that you do all that because yeah. there are too many animals out there that need homes or they well, need um you know health. You know care. the other thing. The other thing, Mark, is that my expertise lends it to the dogs that are difficult that not all the fosters can deal with like we had street dogs yeah. well that's like feral dogs they got picked up by the shelter because they were running as a pack they didn't even know what it was like to be within a human home yeah. they were either thrown food or kicked or told to get out of there or people were throwing them scraps or whatever they were running as a pack and it was like I don't know, 70 of them, but they broke them up into groups. They took like 30 in and then another 40. Well, we got a bunch of those dogs and we had never gotten street dogs before. It's totally different than getting a dog that's been raised as a puppy in a home. And these dogs didn't know toys. They didn't know anything. And then we, I got two of them. One of them I had for two months and that one was definitely afraid of men so the only thing we could think of was that it had a very bad situation with men. Right. That the only relationship it had with men was bad, you know. So I, I, when I brought it in to my home, it was completely shut down and scared. I, you know, it took weeks, <clears throat> like a couple of weeks, for it to open up and finally show its real personality. And what really helped is that I had good mentor dogs. My dog Poppy, my little rescue. Um, she was great. And then I have Toby, my border collie, who's going to be 10 tomorrow. Oh, nice. Birthday. <laughs> yeah, Toby. Wow. I can't believe I've had him for 10 years. <laughs> well, actually I got him when he was 10 weeks old, but I mean, that's a long time. He was born on September 18th that long ago. And you know, they, he is the one most wonderful dog with the little dogs. And since I got Poppy, my little service dog, she's actually my service dog, too, because she started alerting me for low blood sugar on oh, her own wow. after I had her for three months. It's wow. amazing. That is... I, I, I call that the universe <laughs> opened up and gave us each other because I saved her life that day. But she's been saving mine ever since. Not to mention know? money. <laughs> What's that? Not to mention all the money that you know. You know, you kind of don't have to pay. I'm I'm kidding around, but you don't have to do your blood sugar so much. You know, like the strips well, and stuff. Actually, yeah. in my situation, it's hypoglycemia, which oh. is low blood sugar. So I'm not diabetic, but I'm borderline. Oh. So ever since I got diagnosed at 20, I've had to deal with food. You know, with it with food, I didn't have to go on medication. But my doctor scared me pretty good at that time and said that if I didn't take care of it, I'd become diabetic. So I've been on all these years watching it and taking care of it. But when I got older. 
it's natural that when you go through hormone changes and stuff like that, your body can change again. And I was having more issues with the low blood sugar. Not that I needed to go on medication, but just I needed to be more aware of it and watch my diet more and things like that. That is incredible, though, to have a dog that can detect that. I know. And, you know, with dogs in general, they use them for so many different things now. And service dogs are not just guide dogs or hearing dogs or uh, for people in wheelchairs. They've got them for seizures. They got them cancer detection dogs. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, for, for diabetes and low blood sugar. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing how many roles the dog can fill now in helping the human counterpart. As far as even a working dog, like in search and rescue Mm -hmm. and for the police department and, you know, having a canine officer, these dogs sniff drugs and all kinds of stuff. It's because they can. I mean, it's, they have ultra senses compared to us with their hearing and with their sense of smell. So is it any wonder that Poppy connected with me and realized there was something not right in my body? She could smell it before I ever went into an episode. It was amazing. Wow. So she became a big part of my life. I never thought I'd have a little dog. I've, I've trained many little dogs for movie work and private lessons and whatever. And I never was interested in having a little dog. I've always liked the big dogs, like German Shepherds, Golden Retrievers. Or like Jack and Bandit. (laughs) Well, yes, Jack and Bandit. And Bandit was the first Border Collie I ever worked with. So I wanted to ask you, um, so Bandit was a Border Collie? I I wanted to ask you exactly what kind of dogs were they? Well, okay. So, you know, I got into working with Frank Ian. I spent seven years there learning. And I worked with Benji, the other shaggy oh. dog. He had Benji. Um, wow. I'm really backtracking because I wanted to give you some idea sure. of what I was doing before I got to Little House. I had seven years with Frank, and Frank grew me. I mean, he brought me under his wing when I had worked there a year in the kennel before he asked me one day, would you like to go to the studio? So that kind of opened up the door for me becoming a trainer. He believed in me because he saw my perseverance. I was training a Benji son before it was a Benji. It was Higgins (laughs) from Petticoat Junction. And Higgins was the dog that he took, took me with him to the set of uh, Petticoat Junction to watch how he worked the dog and how you work with the camera and with the director and everything else with the actors, with a trained dog. I had never seen it until that day, even though I was working in the kennel and I could see them training the dogs. I learned on the side. I was doing everything after hours. I took my pup scamper who, you know, was like a year old when I got <laughs> I love there. the names. <laughs> yeah. Scamper. I named him scamper. He, he was so adorable. He was a, he was a shaggy dog, you know, a uh, uh, mixed times variety. And, um, and the father was Higgins, who was, they believe also he was like a cockapoo terrier mix. Well, his wife was named Hazel. So Higgins and Hazel had this litter before I ever got there. <laughs> and by the time I got there, they were like a year old. And nobody had been messing with them. You know, they had so many animals there. 
And so being that I was very interested in becoming a trainer, I asked if I could take that dog home and work with them after hours. And I got permission from Frank to do it. So I did that. In my first year, I trained Higgins' dog, which was Scamper. And then later Higgins became Benji. So then my dog became a Benji son. Not in the beginning, but later <laughs> he became famous because of that. And uh, eventually when Higgins did pass away, my dog, Scamper, took his place and became Benji for a while. So it was interesting. I never got credit for any of that. That's but I wild. wasn't there anymore. <laughs> I wasn't there anymore either. I had left after seven years to go on to do other things in the business, but with uh, somebody else. So at the time, I also got to raise a kit, a raccoon kit. That's what they call them, kit. Yeah, I never heard uh, of them. Wow. Yeah. And raccoons are so handy with their little feet. They use them like hands. If you've ever seen raccoons in the wild or even on TV or whatever, that's what they do. And I had two of them living in my roof, actually. Now? No, I had. And oh, um, okay. they were um, like, I we renovated our attic. So I use it as a workspace, like an office. And so the roof is right above my head. And it's like in between there's, you know, insulation and then your roof. And I would just hear like, you know, like, um, and, and scraping. And I'm like, oh man, I know there's like electrical stuff in there. Like we can't. And one day I was outside and my house is a, a colonial. So you could just look straight up and I'm like, I see it go right underneath. Like uh, the littlest little nothing. It kind of got in. Um, <clears throat> we called an exterminator, but only under, we, we wanted them to catch to get the squirrels out, right? But to let them go. Were they squirrels? They were squirrels. Were they there were two black squirrels. Oh, they were squirrels. Okay. One was pregnant, according to the guy. He's like, either he was re she's really fat or she's pregnant. And um, why was looking for a place to have the um, the litter. And um, it just I just personally feel bad, but I don't want that to be my roof. And um, above my head, no less. So um, he caught them in like one of these trap cages and he, he's like, he literally, we went down the street um, and we let them go <laughs> and oh, I, yeah, well, yeah, we let them go. We didn't, we didn't do anything bad or anything. Um, mm -hmm. But um, then I, uh, you know, that day I had somebody patch up the area where they were getting in and we haven't had a problem since. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, it well, was just right one of those now, things because they drowned them. You know, it's awful. Oh, that's not good. The guy was well, very we honest have, with Well, I live in the country. <laughs> I live in the country right now. So we have all the wild animals around. We have deer, raccoons. Wow. I've got a I have a litter of raccoons. This mama and her five babies. They're about half grown now, but they want to eat our outside cat food every night. So I have to put the cat food down. Then once my kitties eat it, I got to pick it up or those guys will be in it. Wow. <laughs> I even have a picture of it. I'll have to send it to you. I finally got them on, on my, my camera phone and I snapped a shot. <laughs> One of the babies had picked up the dish with the cat food in it and was eating it out of the dish. You know, That's and it was so funny. Off the ground. Like oh really God, fast because they knew you were coming. Oh my <laughs> gosh. It was so funny. 
And, you know, I mean, I love raccoons because of my raising Tico, my raccoon at Frank's. So I had Tico and Scamper for seven years while I was there. They were like mine in every sense of the word, but Frank owned them. So what was really sad is that when I left there, I had to leave them. And that was really, really hard. I mean, it broke my heart. I I even didn't want to take and take Tico back there to live there because then you would be there in the kennel all the time. You know, I mean, all the animals that were trained to do work for movie and TV, film, photo shoots, whatever, they all lived in housing, but it was a kennel life. It wasn't like living in a home. And, you know, even though the animals are well-trained, the ones that we worked, and this was their job, they weren't really pets. They were working animals. So they lived in, you know, how they had dog houses for the dogs and kennels. Some of them were cement. Some had pea gravel at that time till he got everything turned over to cement so you could wash it off. But when I came, they were still in that transition. And then they made a brand new cat house. Because when I came there again, the cats were living on pea gravel with also indoor areas. But it was much nicer once they had the cement because you could hose everything down and keep it clean. And then they had levels for the cats, you know, so they could get up off the cement. And it was Mm -hmm. like a first-class house for them. So it was really, really nice. And it made me feel good that Frank at least put the money back into his place to keep it nice and to take care of the animals right. I mean, I worked there for a year in the kennel before I ever got to start doing the training. So I was feeding and cleaning those animals every day. And I got to see, you know, firsthand how we'd make up the big chicken vat of of chicken and we used kibble and we would pour the chicken broth and the and the ground up chicken over the kibble and mix it up in wheelbarrows, you know, to drive around to the different dogs and stuff. And then every animal that was wild animals had other food. It wasn't all one food fits all. There was a lot of different kinds of foods we had to feed according to whatever the animal was, you know. Like the seal, he got fish. And he was a trained seal. He knew how to clap and hide his head and talk and, and balance a ball and all that. So we would feed him doing his tricks. You know, <laughs> that yeah. was very interesting doing that. So this is your meal too, you know. And uh, so anyway, when I left Frank, I had this really this feeling of, okay, I'm going to step up now and do more work leaving Frank's because it was starting to get doggy dog there. I mean, there were other people. I was only one of like three or four women in the business. It was dominated by men. So Mm -hmm. another one that was very hard to get into was this. If it weren't for Frank sponsoring me into the union and taking me under his wing and saying, you know, I believe in you and you're going to be a good trainer, then I wouldn't have had that break, you know, to get in. And so basically I pioneered the way for other women to get into this field because I was like one of three or four. You I know, think that that's was awesome. That time. You always need the, a okay. couple people to just step up and do an excellent, um, to do more than just an excellent job to, you know, to really kind of, to do just do a better job than everyone else to really, you know, to prove your point. It seems like that's well, what's necessary. Do it after hours. You know, it's like 
the men, most of the men trainers wouldn't even give me the time of day. Mm-hmm. But I got one guy that friended me, Henry, and he was willing to show me. Because I would say, well, how do you get the dog to do that? And, well, you know, get them to speak or lay down on their side or how do you do all that? And so he showed me. And basically, since I learned with Frank and the gal that had Jack before me, that she worked two years on the show before I got on, Gary Kearns. She had worked for Frank, too. She she started there also and then mm. went on to Peggy and Hal Driscoll, who had an animal rental kennel in the Valley. Um, and they were also doing the same thing, but on a lower scale. And they mostly did dogs. Uh, they didn't do the wild animals. And I'm not sure if they had cats, too, but I knew they had the dogs. And so Gary trained Jack, and that was a woman, by the way, but her name was Gary. And uh, she trained Jack in the same methods that I learned over at Frank's because she also was tutored by Frank. So it was interesting that when I got on the show, and the way I got on the show was that Gary Kearns had a falling out with Michael and some reason left the show. Hmm. So I get this call from Peggy Driscoll and she knew me already because a lot of the people knew who everybody was. And I had been working at another place for a year, but then I left there uh, to be my own boss and to freelance and go work for anybody in the business, not just for one person. And in doing that, it opened the door for me to take over on Jack because Michael Landon wanted a woman trainer to take over on Jack. He had enough of the wherewithal and insight to know that Jack was trained by a woman would probably work better for a woman trainer than a man. And so he asked for a woman trainer from Peggy saying, you need to get me a woman trainer to take over for Jack. And in the meantime, they didn't have anybody So Peggy called me and asked me. I was the first one she called because Mm. there wasn't a whole lot of us around to pick from. Cindy James had her own kennel and Gary left. So that left me and maybe one other person, right? And so she calls me up and she goes, well, they're in dire straits right now. They need a trainer to take over on Jack. And the funny thing is, I love the show. I love the show. Oh, you were a fan to begin with? That's that's actually even better. I was like, you know, like really a big fan (laughs) of the show. And my friend and I would get the popcorn and the apples and we would sit there and watch whatever episode was going to happen from the very first pilot episode to the whole series, you know, up to that point. So me getting asked to be the dog trainer on the show. It ruined everything, really. But didn't it it kind of ruin it? Because now you, you lost the show. I'm just kidding. What's that? It, it kind of ruined what? it because you can't just sit around watching the show now. Now now you're a part oh, of the show. No, no, no. <laughs> it didn't ruin it at all. Now I was a part of it, you know. And right. I had never even thought about that. But <laughs> I'm on, just on the level that we're dog trainers or, or animal trainers, we always watch everybody else's work. You know, I mean, that was the way we would be in that business. We know who's doing the work we want to see and we critique it or, or we want to watch and see how well it was done. You know, right. that that's our point of view that we would look our work too, because we wouldn't get to see our work until it aired. It's not like you videotaped it or look on YouTube. You know, you can't, you couldn't see any of this stuff and there were no pictures. 
you know, mm-hmm. I mean, except for publicity ones. So it was very interesting to watch the work and get into the show. I mean, I fell in love with it and I loved little Jack. I thought he was just the cutest little waif ever. You know, and, and that's so, my question. What kind of dog is Jack? Was Jack? Well, Jack also had a stunt double and stand-in named Barney. Right. I don't know if you knew that there were two dogs. Um, Did you? You know what? I learned it just a few minutes ago from IMDb. So for a few minutes, I knew this. You did because I had it on my IMDb, right? I'm I'm actually on the episode of Cast-Offs that we talked about. because. Because actually Sharon's going to come back for another episode. She's actually going to review that episode with me, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. Um, oh yeah, that'll be a that'll be a kick in the. So yeah, I was because... just looking here, and it's just you know it's like dog owner for Jack and Barney, you know Hal and Peggy Driscoll, and and uh, your name is right here, um, Sharon Evans, dog handler and trainer of Jack and Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, well, I. Did work with them both, and yeah. the funny thing is, when I got on the show, you have to remember Jack was already established. It wasn't like he was a new dog; I was the new trainer, yeah. so there wasn't any publicity pictures done with Jack and me. You know, like. And I'm what sorry. What episode was it that you came in on? Well, I came in in the third season. Okay. So, two, season one and two had been done by Gary. She had done the work with Jack on the pilot in the in those two years before she left. So I didn't come in until 1976. Okay. And I can't tell you which month. I don't remember. But okay. Anyway, <laughs> I worked I worked on the show for season three and season four, and in season three, you know, when I took over on Jack, so I was asked to be on call. So it would be. I would maybe get a call from the set saying they wanted Jack to come on down because even though I was given the scripts, they would send the scripts to my house and I had to house Jack and Barney at my place. So when I first was asked to do this, I went over and met Jack and Barney and then Peggy said, well, you got to have kennels because you're going to be taking them to your home and you're going to have them there. And the reason for that was, is because of this, because we never knew if Michael wanted to write the dogs in, they had to be available, you know, to come to the show. So I was paid a weekly salary, whether I worked or not. That's not bad. That that (laughs) was good at that time. It was really good. It it locked it in for me. You know, I didn't have to worry about where my next job was going to be because now I was steady on little house. And, um, So what would happen is I had to order kennels before they could come to my place. And then once I got the kennels set up for them, then I I went and picked them up and brought them home. And they both looked alike. They were both cockapoo terrier mixes. They were pound puppies also. So that's where they came from. They weren't from a breeder or anything. Mm -hmm. They were rescued in the shelter like a lot of the dogs were. A lot of the dogs that Frank got and a lot of the cats he got were from shelters. They took them out of there and trained them up for this work. So that was the same for Jack and Barney. And a lot, there's a lot of people think that Jack's real name was Barney, but they named him Jack. Barney was the double. (laughs) That's funny. 
But you I know, know. even mm-hmm. Melissa, even Melissa Gilbert thought that Barney was the dog's real name. <laughs> and until we met in 2002-2010, we hadn't seen each other since like 78 or 9. I hadn't seen her since she was a kid, you know, and now sure. she's an adult. She was doing the um, Little House on the Prairie musical in Sacramento, and I got a chance to go and be a part of that. They invited me to come to the after party, oh, that's awesome. which was being held with some of the cast from Little House was going to be there, too, with the players from the play. So it was an opportunity to reconnect with Melissa, even though we were real good buddies when I was on the show. She absolutely adored Jack, and she was over there all the time wanting to play with them and, uh-huh. and meet me and be with me. And we got along great. I even had John, her brother, Jonathan Gilbert, and her over to the ranch for barbecue trail rides. Wow. So I used to bring the, have the kids brought over, and we did that. So I made an album for her, knowing that I was going to be there. Uh, I made an album for her of the pictures that I had taken on my Kodak camera long, long time ago of her and him, Jonathan, riding on the horses and with my dogs at that time. That's really awesome. And isn't that fun? Yeah. And then I gave it to her and at this event that we were doing this after party thing. And Charlotte Stewart was there. Um, I know that, I believe that one or both, I'm not sure, both the twins were there. Mm -hmm. Uh, They might have been both there, but they were there. Uh, Allison Arngren was there. So I got to reconnect with the cast, some of the cast, you know, and I was on, like I said, for a couple of years. So we had like three trainers all together that handled the dogs. First Gary with Jack then me with Jack and Jeff, and then the owner of Jeff who played Bandit was Ray Berwick. Mm -hmm. And originally, Ray wanted his nephew, Brian, to take over. So the part about that was hard because Michael wanted me to stay on. But it was his idea to have Jack die of old age. And I was shocked when he wanted to have that happen because Jack wasn't old. (laughs) And and I was like, but but why are you going to kill him off? You know, he's such a big part of the show. Because it's a tearjerker. That's why. Oh, yes. And there's a little bit more behind that, of course, is that uh, it wasn't just to kill off Jack. It was to create a real tearjerker show that would bring the ratings back up on yeah. the audience. And that's because it, NBC, you know, he, he's NBC a part of the family. Pre- <laughs> well, yeah, and CNBC looked at our show, Little House on the Prairie, as a top-rated show. We were, like, number one in their ratings. Well, when the ratings started to drop, then he was getting pressure from NBC, you know, because there was this war going on between NBC, CBS, and ABC, mm-hmm. the three network stations, you know, and fighting over for who has the best viewership. Well, since Little House was big, you know, as far as viewership, that was their top show. So they didn't want it going down. So they started getting on Michael's back, you know, to do something about it. And so Michael came up with this idea that in Laura's book, if he was following some of the stuff, Jack dies of old age. They were so either going to kill the reverend or the dog. 
the Reverend or the Don? <laughs> yeah, that, I heard they flipped a oh. coin. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that part. I no, that I'm just kidding. Go with the dog. But you know, I'm thinking that, that was real. No, 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 no. <laughs> but you know, okay. whenever, um, whenever my white dog, my uh, Maltese, needs a groom, he tends to look a lot like Jack does, but like a miniature version. Uh-huh. And it's just always funny cuz I'll watch it and it's like it, Jack just looks like a huge version of my dog. <laughs> and I always think like this is that's what I'll replace him with when he dies one day, you know. I'll be very sad, but it's like I'm going to find a dog just like Jack who probably needs to be brushed a lot more than um Yeah. Well, there you know, you're dealing with long hair and you know if you don't groom it it's going to get matted. So, oh, yes, there was a like lot overnight. of grooming and I had to bathe the dogs a lot, too. You know, I mean, I kept them clean, and I groomed them. I played with them. They were like my dogs. And you had to make the them look a little dirty, too, didn't you? I mean, it's like they couldn't be too clean. <laughs> I mean, they live on a farm. Well, yeah, but I had to take care of them because I yeah. lived on a ranch, okay? I, I had a ranch and horses and other dogs. So they they were my responsibility, though. Sure. And I had to be careful that nothing would happen to them. That's why I didn't let them run loose. You know, I had to protect them. That's a big liability there since they were stars on an ongoing show. <laughs> so You don't you know think of I'm it saying? like that, but it's totally true. You know, it's it's really mind-blowing. And um, well, I do Well, want... yeah, I mean, people don't think about that part of it, but... You know, Jack was as much a part of the Ingalls family as the Ingalls. Absolutely. Um, I did want to ask you about some of the other movies that you've worked on. Um, and um, you worked on, as a Star Wars complete geek, when I saw this on your IMDb page, I had to ask about it. Um, but you'd worked on Ewoks, the Battle for Endor TV movie, which was a movie, I thought it was 84, but according to this, it's 85. That's right. That's when we filmed. It was 85. Yeah. It was released in 86, I think. It could have been 85. I'm not sure if it was released in 86. It might have been the next year because they showed it in the theater over in San Francisco in November. But we filmed all of it in the summer, in July and August. And this is with uh, Wilfred Brimley and Warwick Davis. You know, these These are really, mm -hmm. you know... These are big names just like Michael Landon. You know, like this is, um, well, you know, to Lucas uh, at the time, a Lucas production, right? Yeah, Lucas Films um, did this. And this is the second one of two that he did as an installment to the three, the trilogy of original Star Wars. Not, hmm. not the movies now, but the original three Star Wars that George Lucas did. These were spinoffs from the last one called Return of the Jedi. Yeah. You remember that one? Of course. And it has... It has <laughs> I'm like a Star Wars nerd. Oh, you are? Yeah. Okay. So then I'm talking to the guy that probably knows more than me. But uh, And I, I love all so. Star Wars. I'm not one of these people who, you know, like, well, I don't know. I don't like that one. No, it's I, I waited a long time for all of these movies to come out every year. <laughs> We're booking our trip to Disney World when Star Wars World opens. Uh, we are there. Really? Yeah. Are they going to have a Star Wars World at Disney? Because you don't know Disney about this? Now. You got no, I didn't know they were going to do that, but I know that Disney owns the Star Wars projects now because Lucas sold them the right. Yeah. Disneyland is opening it first because it's going to be a little smaller. 
Um, but oh, in, you mean down by me? Yeah, over in Anaheim, Anaheim, right? Oh, they're going to do it there first? Yeah, I think that it's going to yeah. open this fall. I'm not 100% sure about it. But um, I know oh, that in that's... 2020, probably, it's going to open in Disney World. And Disney, it's going to be its own world. It's going to be like Epcot, <laughs> but oh, Star Wars. So. Wow. And Now, uh, see, they've got California Adventure and they have Disneyland over there because oh. they have California Adventure because Disney World is bigger. They have more room and yeah. they were able to expand. So what they did is they took the parking lot of Disneyland and turned part of that into California Adventure. Yeah, I and went, that and that's like roller coasters, right? Well, yeah, there's a lot, lot more thrill rides and things like that, but there's also themes there yeah. too. I love the Disneyland. That Disney did. Disneyland yeah. is my favorite because I like, um, you know, fifties and sixties era Disney, and for me, there's no better oh. than Disneyland. Uh, for that very reason. Now, when you speak to my yeah. wife and you speak to my son, they're like, well, for the same amount of money, we can just go to Disney World and we'll stay in a resort. Um, oh, and I hate yeah. flying you, and it's half the flight. I'm sorry? Did you go to Disneyland then? Yeah, I've been to Disneyland. And I loved do it. You live where you live now, but you went to L.A. then and went to Anaheim? Exactly. To to yeah, oh, we... Okay. Um, I, well, I've gone there a couple times, but... Um, Wow, the last time I was there was probably in 2001, I think. That was forever ago. Were they ago. still doing the electrical parade when you went? Yes. They're, they're still oh, doing good. it now. I, well, you know what? They, this yeah, year they, they might not be. They brought it back. You know, I collect they, vinyl. It. I collect vinyl, and I came across this record from the 70s. It's a 7-inch. Um, um, I'm not sure of the speed, but it's a picture disc of the electric parade. <laughs> And it's that it's a song, a picture disc. So, it, you know, it has um, the artwork on the disc itself. Oh, okay. And yeah. it's that, uh-huh. it's that song that, the, you know, that they play over and over and over again. Over and over again. Well, I've got the album. I've got the record too. Oh, okay. I got it when we were younger and the electrical parade album, you know, record. But the funny thing is the year that we saw it where they were going to discontinue it was a big to do of the electrical parade and they had shirts and everything you wow. know, because it was the last one. Well, so many people missed it when they replaced it with whatever they were doing next. I used to go every year cause I lived down there and my family, we would go to Disneyland every year, every year. It was a family gathering, you know, to go there. It's crazy so expensive I, now though. It's it, crazy. it was just really fun. You know, yeah. it was a fun place to go as a family when we got older, we'd split up and go do our own thing and then come back together for lunch and dinner. You That's know? what I like about but, Disneyland, though. You can do that at Disneyland. You can, you know, you can cover the entire property if you really want to in one day. Yeah, it depends on when you get there, but yeah. you can do it. But if you're going to go, like we live there, yeah. so we usually didn't stay at the hotel or anything like that. We could, you know, we make a day of it. Yeah. And at that time, they didn't have California Adventure. And later, when California Adventure came in, then I took my daughter there in 2000, what was it, 2000, I guess it was 2000, 
Um, I took her there for her eighth grade graduation, mm-hmm. and and that was the, that was fairly new that California Adventure. I don't think it had been open that long, maybe a year at the most, and they were still adding things in and doing things. But it, it was fun. But I was traditional, you know. I mean, Disneyland came first. Oh the yeah, California Adventure 100%. was fun to go look at and check out because it was new and all that, and it's part of Disney. They just had to make a separate section for it, but they had all the Disney themes, you know, but in that place, it was just different. Disney but World's hard to place. figure out. I mean, you go to Disney World, you have to have, I mean, when we go, we're going for a week and we're still not going to do everything. Oh, my goodness. Um, you have to go for a week to Disney World? We don't have to, but we are. I, I mean, but you do go for a week at a time just to get everything in, huh? Yeah. Now, is that including going to Epcot or anything else? Or That's skipping World? stuff. <laughs> we'll be skipping stuff, yeah. Um, oh we're not big on Animal Kingdom. <laughs> that might be um, hard to hear. <laughs> but we're going to skip Animal, Animal Kingdom? Kingdom because it's kind of, in my yeah. eyes, it's kind of like the Bronx Zoo, which is right down the block from me, practically. So, but what is Animal Kingdom? Is Animal Kingdom, Disney um, in Disney World, it's it's another one of the worlds. It's the um, oh, okay, okay. I don't need to see animatronic monkeys. You know, I, I don't really. It doesn't oh, do it for me. Is that what it is? I think so. <laughs> I never went to Animal Kingdom. I never really had an interest in it. It's like you go on like oh, an African safari and that kind of thing. Um, okay, so it's another land. <laughs> yeah, it's another <laughs> land. <laughs> okay, I but, get you. All right, so I say we step away from the world of Disney. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I just want to also say, so you, you continued working on different um, you know, film productions and TV movies and all types of stuff. Um, and besides Little House. You mean? Yeah, besides Little House. Yeah. And um, even the Bad News Bears. What? I was going to say, when you asked about the Ewoks thing, I didn't get to finish telling you oh, sure. my part in it. Yeah, and I know I wanted to bring you back to that because you were interested in the Star Wars thing, but so are other people, too. So here's the opportunity that I had. When I moved up to Northern California, it was because I got a job at Guide Dogs for the Blind at San Rafael. And I actually left the the TV and movie industry for a little bit because in 79 and 80, everybody was striking, and we were dying so I applied at both the schools. The The North Hollywood one was moving to Silmar, which was right down the street from where I was living in the valley. And the one up north, I applied to that one in Northern California. Remember, I was going back to something that I really loved. And even though I was doing this business, it, was, it wasn't feeding me or my animals at that particular time. 79 and 80 it was everybody was striking it was a tough go for animal people so that's what brought me up to northern california was that i got hired by guide dogs for the blind before they had finished the school in somar they had an opening there so i flew up checked out the job they hired me and then i had to move so that's what brought me up to this area up in northern california and I ended up moving to Petaluma because there was there was no way I could afford to live in Marin County. It is by far the most expensive county in all of California. Wow. And here I am, a single person with all these animals. So I had to find a place 
I had dogs, horses, kitties, puppies, <laughs> you know. I, I just need uh, you just need 10,000 square feet and two stables. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't easy because I had no family or friends up here either. Oh, no. And so what happened is in the transition of my dad coming up the first time to help me find a place, we, we didn't. And then I came back a second time on my own. And I found out about Petaluma, which was in the county, neighboring county of Sonoma. And uh, so I ended up finding a place there where I could keep my horses, dogs. It was a little cottage on an old chicken ranch. But they didn't have chickens anymore. And so the landlords had turned all the outbuildings, all the little cottages that the help lived in due to rentals. And so I was able to bring the horses there. I rented pasture and one of the outbuildings that I turned into my tack room and and uh, in uh, what do you call stalls for the mm-hmm. horses. And then I had the pasture too. So when I I worked there like two years, and then we went through a recession in eighty and eighty two. Mm-hmm. From eighty to eighty two, we had a recession, not as bad as the one we just went through recently, but it was bad. The housing development. I mean, the housing market was definitely it. And guide dogs had to cut back. And Hmm. so I was one of the ones that had to to go because I was one of the newer apprentices. And so now what am I going to do, right? I'm like, I moved up here for this job. And I really wanted to do this. I had one more year for my license when they they cut me loose. And I wasn't the only one. But then it was like the rug was pulled out from under me. So I went back to what I knew. But I wanted to do it differently. I did not want to have an animal rental kennel where I housed all these animals, you know. I wanted the animals to have a life. And so the way I did it was more like the Rolodex animal rental. I had animals that I knew that I could subcontract. Oh, that's interesting. That met my requirements. For dogs, they had to be at least basic obedience trained. And then if I found cats or other animals. It's like a talent agency for animals. Yeah. And this way, I didn't have to own them. I didn't have to house them, which is a real, you know, overhead to take care of all of these. And you don't know how often you're really going to work. So I built up a supply of people that I could work with, like I said, like an animal Rolodex. And that's how I was doing my business from then on. And I liked it a whole lot better because I really enjoyed that the animals had a life that they could do and be, you know, with people and not just be in a kennel, which is what the others were. Now, let me ask you, so, uh, let, me, let me just ask, now, what you just described is so much more logical than, to me anyway, than housing all of these animals and taking care of them and having them all kind of grouped together and not really have any home really, like you were saying, um, is, did the industry change or is it still at the point where studios, you know, I guess own or possess a number of animals that they have, or is it really kind of like the process that you're talking about where a Rolodex exists? Well, one thing you need to understand, the studios would approach the animal rental compounds or kennels in the day, you know, like the 50s, 60s, 70s. When I was in it, it was 60s and 70s. and I mean, down there. 
And and so all these businesses that spawned off of feeding animals for this particular line of work were the professionals. So the studios would not get an animal from a private person. They wouldn't go and get a pet to do this job. They would do it with the animal rental businesses. Mm. And so that's where the need was and was satisfied in that way for studios because studios didn't own the animals. They hired the animals through these kennels and compounds like Frank Yen and Lou Schumacher and Carl Miller and all these different people that were in Peggy and now Driscoll, you know, Mo DeCesso had wild animals, all these different companies that were going on then and were actively training animals and keeping them for this purpose. The difference now is there isn't as many animals in shows, if you notice. They mostly CG them now. I mean, on a lot of movies, a lot of the animal work is CG. Yeah. It's not the real thing, although it makes it look like the real thing. But there, there are very few movies now where all the animals are really the animals. There are some, that, like the dog's purpose, they used real dogs in. Um there, I mean, I can cite different shows that they actually use the different animals in. But at that time, there was an animal in almost every show. Sure. In the time when we were growing up, at that time when I was growing up. No, same thing with so me. I mean, I grew different. up throughout the 70s and 80s mostly. Okay. And, um, yeah, I remember that on every single show I would watch as a child, right down to Brady Bunch, you know, with Tiger. Yeah, all even Fraser, you know, had the dog, Mm -hmm. um, the little Jack Russell Terrier that became very popular, too, in that breed because it was on that show. But what I was going to say is taking it to that level that I'm doing it where the Rolodex thing kind of thing, there still are animal rental kennels down there, down in Southern California. Up here, not so much because a lot of people are subcontracting the animals like I'm doing because they don't want the overhead and they don't want the animals just living in that kind of situation when they're not working. So unless you're kept really busy, the animals may not really be getting used or worked, you know, on a regular basis like they were then. So it works for me doing it this way. And I've taken it that way, even when I left, that area and moved up to where I am now, even though I'm farther away from the hub of things, I'm still got my hand in it. I still am doing it. Mm -hmm. I haven't stopped doing it. So I never know until the next phone call, what they're going to want and I'm going to supply it or go round it up. Right. Right. You know, uh, I did. Okay. Back to the, um, the Ewoks because you wanted to know about that, but how I got back into it was that I called, after I was no longer working at Guide Dogs, I called Lucasfilm and I asked them to put me down as an animal trainer that can supply animals for them when I decided to get back in it. And so they told me about this book called The Real Directory. It's a directory of all of the Northern California animal rentals. And they said that's the one they use. It's like the Bible for Northern California. So I found out about it, got in it, and then I started getting work. I started getting jobs, wow. you know, from that. And um, first I was doing commercials and photo shoots. And then I started doing some TV, not too much TV shows up there because most of that was filmed down in Southern California. But then we had movies we had TV movies and we had movies and lots of commercials. 
So then in, in 85, that's when I got the call. It's funny because I actually asked Lucasfilms to put me down and they told me to get in the book. And then later they used my ad in the book to get a hold of me and, and use me for the Ewoks adventure to supply all the horses for it. And that's what I did. I, I supplied all the horses in it. If you remember, there was the witch in the movie. Well, she did not want to ride. She wasn't a rider. So they were going to have to get a stunt person to take her riding part and do that. When I had read the whole script, you know, already, because I knew what the story called for, I knew what the, the horses were going to have to do, I told <clears throat> I told the production manager the pm that i could go ahead and do the work because i read it all and there wasn't anything in there that i couldn't handle on horseback and it had to be a woman i thought why not me i mean i'm already supplying the horses for it and the the one horse that had to rear up and run around with little sindel who was the girl in the movie had to be stolen and taken to the terox castle and all all that stuff i knew i could do so George Lucas sent out the stunt coordinator to the ranch where I was working with the horse in Santa Rosa. It was an Arab stallion, a black arrow. Mm-hmm. And it had been taught to rear on command on the ground at Liberty, but then we were going to work with it on doing it under saddle too, because there were two times in the movie where the horse had to rear. So they came out, they filmed me, the stunt coordinator filmed me, took it back to George and George said, okay. He said, okay, you can do it, but we have to be careful we don't step on any toes because you're not in the stunt guild. So what he said is, I'm going to make you an employee of Lucasfilms. That way you'll be paid through us. And wow. I said, hey, I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know, I didn't really care if I was in the stunt guild or not because I wasn't, but he made it work. Wow. And being an independent like he was, you could think outside the box, you know. I mean, look, it's George Lucas. He did it his own way, right? Yeah, that's and awesome. So I, it was awesome. So I went ahead and I supplied the horses and I stunt double the witch in the movie. So that's why I've got a stunt credit, too, because I am in the film. And all of the writing is done by me. That's that's really great. I, see, I love stuff like that where, you know, they, they needed a solution and who better to really do this than you? You know, it's something that, you know, you know how to do. You train to do it. You know, it's you train the animal to do it. You know, it's, um, I, I think <laughs> well, that it's, yeah, you know, really. I mean, it was great. It was wonderful for me because I was getting paid two different places. I was wearing two <laughs> different hats. And, and, and you get a stunt credit. <laughs> What's that? And you get a stunt credit. So, I mean, you well, know. I'll, the only thing that George told me was that because I wasn't in the stunt guild, I wasn't going to get a credit on the film for stunt, but I was going to get credit for supplying the horses. Right. And I said, that's fine. But now when you look at IMDb, I am credited for the stunt because I did do it. Yeah. And see, things have changed now. I mean, a lot of things have changed as far as credits. Everybody, even the person who cleaned the bathroom sink, gets credit. Yeah, he's like the assistant you know um, sanitizer, you know. <laughs> but, um, I'm not kidding. I mean, look at the credits. They go on and on and they on. Do. Right? People walk out of the theater. They're not even looking. 
But for us that actually are involved in film and working in, in the picture business, we always look to see who did the Alma work, to see who's in it. And, of course, if it's our work, we want to see sure, our Sure, you definitely want to do right. that, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and so I'm glad that I get the credit for it because I did do it. And I noticed it was put in. I didn't put it in. I did not actually put it in. Somebody else did. That's awesome. So who knows who did it? It, it might have been somebody that worked on the film or whatever. But um, how IMDb gets a lot of their stuff is through editing. You know, people can either put in stuff and they have to verify it. Because you'll notice in there it says uncredited on different things that I did. Mm -hmm. And the reason is in the day, like even on Little House, the dog trainers, the wranglers, nobody got credit. We didn't get credited. So even though, yes, we did the work, they didn't put us on film with that. So, so IMDB looks at it as if you got credit, it was on the film. If you didn't, it's called uncredited. But they'll still give you credit as long as you say uncredited. Right. So, yeah. Sharon, what is so the best – if somebody wants to reach out to you and find out more information about what you do or just kind of um, – just check out what – yeah, I guess what you do. What What's the best yeah. place uh, to go and visit for that? Well, on line with Facebook, I have several – things going on there of course my personal page i try to keep that just for friends and people i know and family mm -hmm. so when this got going this whole thing around little house i was shocked i didn't realize it was all over the world that people are in love with little house even more now than when it aired yeah. like all over the different countries in france it's tremendous yeah, France and, and Australia and England and Germany and, and uh, Holland. And, Do you know, I mean, in, in Japan, it's, it's really big in Japan right now. And one of the people who listens to the show, uh, Ri, she actually reached out to me. She did a review with me from Japan. Oh. And um, she's well, now writing for, um, for the website. So that's pretty awesome. So... So people could get me through, I have Jack and Bandit, the Little Dogs on the Prairie, Facebook site. Mm -hmm. I have that. And I encourage people that want to support Little House and love the dogs and our animal lovers to join. And all they have to do is ask to join. And there's a couple of questions there. We want to see where their loyalty is. It It helps me weed out the stalkers and, <laughs> you know. I really like your really group. Aren't. I like your group because it, it is it's a family friendly type of Facebook group. It's it's not like heavy. It's not like a place where you're going to go and get into a political conversation. It's a place no, where you're I talking about that. yeah, you don't want that. Uh there's I enough don't. of that. Um so that's what I like about your group. You that's go there, you could share yeah. pictures of your animals or just talk about, right. you know, little Asna right. prairie stuff. <laughs> Exactly. And, and I want that. I want people to share their pets. I want sure. them to talk about Little House. I want them to talk about Jack and Bandit. And some of my uh, fans like to post screenshots or things that they find or pictures that they have. I love all of that. And it is family oriented. So there isn't any commercial stuff at all on there. I don't want to be selling things other than now, I drugs. Do no, I'm this. kidding. <laughs> drugs. No, you know, just what? <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I, I do offer the, because people wanted pictures and stuff. So I went into my own library of stuff and I made it available to them. That's I got cool. about eight pictures in there that they can ask for and, and have autographed by me for their collection. I got to say, this is really so, cool because Little House in a Prairie, and I've said this to Allison, I've said this to everybody, everyone who I spoke to who's associated with Little House in a Prairie. I always say, why is there not more merchandise? You know, Kiss, you know, owned the seventies with merchandise. And granted, you know, yeah. little but you know, and there were there were some things that were Little House in a Prairie. But you know, I, I said this to Allison and uh, she thought it was hilarious. Um I, I always <laughs> wondered why would. there was not an Atari twenty six hundred little little house in a prairie game. <laughs> oh my god. Think about it yeah, with the I wagon, know. you know. <laughs> They have more stuff now than they did then yeah. for commercial, like retail stuff. So they for you to add lunch boxes and stuff. For you to do that, I think adds so much to fans like me who you don't really have anything. And you know, we do come from a time where everything is so merchandise heavy. Um I had every single kiss everything, you know? Um <laughs> But I never what had a little Star Wars? <laughs> and Star Wars. I still have um I still have a tremendous amount of my nineteen seventies um Star Wars collection in the packages. Uh, it's it's a sickness. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But you know, I really can't answer why there wasn't more merchandising yeah. then. I don't know. Whether they just didn't want to do it, or they just did a very minimal, or maybe it wasn't that big to do it. I don't know. Yeah. But it is now, and what I've found is a lot of fans that are very, very dedicated to Michael Landon and Little House. They make stuff and they give it. Like like Carmen is a gal that only recently I met. She has Michael Landon Remembrance Group. And she asked me if we could do a special giveaway with the pictures. And she was going to purchase them. She got some for herself already. But she wanted to give some of the fans the opportunity to join my group. And when they joined my group, then she was putting a contest on for people that joined my group that were already in her group to get these pictures. Wow. We did this about a month or so ago. And I agreed to it. I just thought it was wonderful. And it also brought more people into my Jack and Bandit group. And we were joining forces on increasing the people going from my group into her group as well. And it was like a joint effort over Michael because her group is about Michael Landon. But anybody that loves Michael Landon really loves his shows. Yeah. And Little House is huge. I mean, as far as, as, as keeping the people interested in the family life that it represented and what Michael did with it well, and how he absolutely kept that closeness, not only with little house on the prairie as being a subject for people to get a wholesome family entertainment, but also how he treated his cast and crew because he believed in family first and he did not keep us longer than usually five o'clock or whatever. We were rapping and everybody could go home. Yeah. And that he, he had a lot of, um, he had a great reputation for that. And, um, I know that I said that I was going to go into a bit about me and why I started this podcast, but I think I'm going to save that for the next time that you and I get oh, together. Yeah. 
Um, I could, I could, I could bore everyone right off the bat with that uh, story. <laughs> well, and... <laughs> don't worry about it. There's going to be another conversation. There's so much to talk about, yeah. and I hope we didn't go too long here. But no, it's fine. The other place that they can do so they can join Jack and Bandits. Page, and I'm going to put a link to all these in the show notes, yeah, as well okay. as um in in uh on the website. And you know, I, I'm definitely going to promote all of. Um, everyone's thing. And I really wish more people would do that. I mean, we all have to kind of, we all have little house in a prairie groups, but they're each one kind of represents another little thing about it that we enjoy a little bit more than the others. Well, you know, when I started the Jack and bandit one, it was um, in 2013 because of the 40th anniversary of little house on the prairie. So, you know, I mean, I felt there was an there was a need for that because nobody online had anything in recognition of the dogs, and I was the only trainer that worked both dogs. You know, so right. I felt like I could be their voice, I could be a connection for the fans about the dogs and what we did, and that's something I still hope to do. I haven't been invited to an actual little house on the prairie gathering yet. I mean, I tried in 2014. It didn't work because they only wanted the stars. And you know what? It's kind of sad because Jack and Bandit, they were the canine performers on the show. And for them to get recognition and I can be their voice, that's a great outlet for the fans. And I think they're missing the boat not having us. They should have us. I think they'll I surprise mean, I you. I, I think that... Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that it was, um, I think it was a minor oversight and I, I think that it was a mis- a big mistake, but at the same time, I, I think that, um, thankfully there's time to possibly rectify that. And, um, well, I hope so. By doing this podcast, we're letting more people know that there is a definite following for Jack and Bandit. Absolutely. And for me as an animal trainer in the business, I'm still alive. I can still answer questions. I do it all the time, willingly and givingly, because I appreciate the fans. I mean, I was one also. Mm-hmm. And so being able to share the behind the scenes, what it was like working on the show, what it was like working with animals and TV and film, that's a, that's a really interesting aspect of my career. And, and I'm celebrating 50 years this year. This wow. is my 50th year of doing this. I mean, that's pretty long. It's like a milestone for me. That's awesome. So I'm glad to share that with everybody and say, hey, you know, I might have been the person at that time who was paving way for other women to get in the business. Now, a lot of women are doing this. It isn't just men. Right. But at the time, it was very difficult to get into it. So for Michael to actually ask for a woman trainer he had He's much more wherewithal. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That he knew that the dog would work better and he wanted that. That was more important to him about right. everything working well together, having a well honed show, you know? And he would not have asked me to stay if I wasn't doing a good job no. and asking me to actually work with Jeff and and become, you know, the trainer with Bandit was like, wow. You know, I mean, wow, because the owner of the dog wanted somebody else. But if he was going to have the dog on the show, he had to use me because 
Michael Landon and Kent McRae wanted me to stay. Mm-hmm. And of course, if they had ticked my dog, <laughs> I would have been because I actually offered Cover, my dog that was in one episode. <laughs> he was in the Little Women episode. Oh, oh And nice. Michael wrote him in. So you'll have to watch that one and then you can remember what what happened on that particular episode with Little Women. But uh, it was a really cute, it was what they call comedy relief. I mean, Michael always thought of that. I mean, you like to put that in a show, especially when there was heavy things going on. And my dog was the comedy relief in that episode. So, of course, when it came time for him to pick a new dog, why wouldn't I say my dog, right? But Michael did give me a, a audience and auditioned my dog, and he really liked my dog. But he said he wanted something more flashy. My dog looked kind of like Old Yeller. He was a (laughs) yellow lab and German Shepherd cross, and not as big as Old Yeller. But but he was very well trained because he was the first dog that I put all this training on for TV and movie work, working at Frank's. I learned all that stuff and put it on him. So if Michael had picked my dog, I would have been on till the end. But that's not what ended up happening. So. You know, well, I'm glad that I you're him. still able to share, you know, um, such such a wonderful story, and um, you know, you, you've gone through so many different aspects of this, and um, I, I, it's been lovely speaking with you. Um, now, Sharon Evans also has agreed to come back on and review the episode Castoffs, which should be a hoot. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to thank you again for coming on. I really do appreciate your time. And um, I look forward to our next conversation. Okay. Well, <laughs> you're on. I'll be there. Awesome. <laughs> thank you for having me on your show. Please.